Our reading is from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3 to 13, and that's on page 361 of the Pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow that. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled for forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tim. And uh, it feels quite strange to be talking about Elijah um, and winds and everything. And you can hear the wind rattling around um, our church today. Uh, Father God, will you be um, in my words this morning? Amen. Um, today we're looking at prayer as a cry of the heart. And I wonder what this means to you, a cry of the heart. We spent the last few weeks considering prayer and how to pray. Lee talked about place, posture, persistence and power in prayer. Tim spoke to us on listening to God with some ideas of how to hear his voice. We've heard about praying with authority and lining ourselves up with God's will so we can pray confidently. 
And if you're reading Moving Mountains or watching the videos in home groups, you'll know that John Eldridge says that there is a way things work as he commends us to grow and mature in our prayer lives as Christians. And yet, there is a cry of the heart, a time when all our structures and formulas for prayer are stripped away, a time when we can be really honest with God, a time when we call out to him with a cry of the heart, a time when we just cry, God, help. King David in the Old Testament did this a lot. Help me, God, I'm in deep distress. Often he was hiding in a cave beset by dangers all around when he cried out to God, with enemy armies chasing him or when Saul was bearing down on him. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you, I call as my heart grows faint. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord? How long? Can you hear the desperation in his voice? There's a sense that David isn't whispering these prayers. He's pleading with God. He's crying out. Save me. Crying out in scripture. There are several Hebrew and Greek words used in the Bible to mean crying out. I'm not going to try and pronounce them, but I'd like to look at their definitions to try and get a deeper understanding of what crying out to God might be like. So firstly, the Hebrew words. A cry of deep distress. To cry out for help. To call with a loud sound. To shout a war cry, a cry for help, a cry of deep distress. And then the Greek, to cry out, to implore with a strong voice. Prayer, as the cry of the heart, is a passionate and honest appeal to God. It's an act of desperation and total concentration. It's the sound you make when you reach wit's end corner, as my friend likes to call it when there are no other options. It's when you can't hide anymore, when you can't solve your problems any other way than to call out to God. It's a raw and honest cry. John Eldridge writes, we don't have to learn how to pray this prayer. It just comes. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had a cry of the heart moment where his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He knew the scriptures, he knew what was coming, and he was overwhelmed, so he cried out to God. This was his dark night of the soul. He was in deep, deep anguish, and he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. He was totally honest with God about how he felt. He was so overwhelmed by sorrow and distress that he felt close to death. He was in a desperate place in his life facing a desperate situation. And as a fully human being, Jesus called out to God an intense, desperate prayer. Take this cup away from me. This is the cup that bore the horrors of the next 18 hours. That would mean immense physical pain, desertion of his closest friends, abandonment from God, and the weight of all our sin. His prayer in Gethsemane was searingly honest 
take this cup away from me. In Hebrews 5.7, we read, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. We hear from Luke's Gospel, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood when falling to the ground. Please, Abba, Father, take this cup from me. When Jesus was in deep distress, he just called out to God, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. He knew it was possible. Hadn't he told his disciples with God, nothing is impossible? Help me, God. I can't do this. I've prayed this prayer, and I'm sure many of you have as well. Elijah prayed this prayer too. If you read the accounts in 1 Kings, a picture of a mighty man of God appears, a man who speaks to God, a man who hears from God, a man who is obedient to God and who does mighty things for God. He calls down fire on the evil prophets of Baal. He prays for drought and he prays for rain. He stands up to Ahab and the prophets of Baal and God demonstrates his mighty power. You might think this would fill Elijah with confidence and assurance, but instead, the opposite happens. He hears that Jezebel, Ahab's wife, is out to get him. She threatens to kill him, and he is terrified. He runs for his life, and what does he do? He prays that he might die. He doesn't pray for God to save him. He prays that he might die. He is so depressed and worn out. I've had enough, Lord. Let me die. This is the cry of the heart. This is his broken place. I can't do this. Let me die. I wonder if you've been in that place, that place where you've had enough, where you're overwhelmed, where all you want to do is lie down and give up. I know I have. Where all I've wanted to do is crawl under the duvet and stay there. Maybe the pain is too much. Maybe the fear is too much. Maybe you're exhausted and emotionally undone. Life is not easy, and it can be especially hard when we're in a fearful place or state. So what do we do when we reach that place? Do we think, oh, I must have my quiet time. Oh, I must read my Bible. Do we try to remember the prayer acronym we were told was so helpful for praying? No, <laughs> we cry out to God. I've had enough, Lord. I can't do this anymore. And how does God respond to the cries of our heart? Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honour me. That's Psalm 50, verse 15. God meets us in our moment of need. God provides. And notice that God is concerned with practical things. He fed and watered Elijah. Elijah looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread cooked over hot coals and a jar of water. Sounds good, doesn't it? How comforting is the smell of freshly cooked bread. Can you imagine the soft tendrils of heat rising up from it as he breaks off pieces to eat? God strengthened Elijah, not once, but twice, and then he sent him on a 40-day journey. Strengthened by that food, he travelled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, 
There he went into a cave and spent the night. So Elijah is in his cave, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah explains what has been happening and the persecution he and the prophets of God have been suffering and how he is in fear of his life. Elijah has done amazing things for God. He's seen the power of God at work, and yet here he is, focused on what has gone wrong. Pete Gregg uses a wonderful analogy about how we tend to focus on the minutiae of life, as if we're looking at things through a microscope, when in fact what we need to do is use a telescope and gaze at the stars and remember how big God is. When our focus is on him, instead of our worries, he equips us to deal with anything. So God says to Elijah, come out of your cave and look at me, I'm going to pass by. And then we have this extraordinary account of what happens next. As if Elijah isn't in a rocky place already, there's a powerful wind or hurricane, as it says in the Message Bible, which shatters the mountains and the rocks. Talk about moving mountains, that's what was happening. Then there's an earthquake, and then the fire. What must Elijah have been thinking? If Elijah wasn't already terrified, he is now. But we're told the Lord was not in the wind. The Lord was not in the earthquake. The Lord was not in the fire. After the fire comes a gentle whisper or a still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. In all that noise and storm, it was in the quietness that Elijah heard God. Elijah repeats his complaint, and God says, Go back the way you came. Go back and do the things I'm asking you to do. And Elijah sets off and obeys God's commands. So Elijah is strengthened when he cries out to God, not just in spiritual ways, but also in practical ways. And then he carries on with God's work. In the same way, Jesus is strengthened in the Garden of Gethsemane. We are told in Luke's Gospel that an angel came and strengthened him. Then having prayed, Jesus leaves the garden determined and unwavering to do God's will. We only have a few short verses in Matthew's Gospel. In fact, there are only ten. But at the end of this time, Jesus says, Rise, let's go. Isn't it amazing that the man who had been praying earnestly, take this from me, is now saying, rise, let's go. Or as in the Message Bible, let's get up, let's get going. He has a renewed strength, ready to face the trials ahead. God has met me so many times when I cry out to him, and often it's when our prayers are most raw and most honest when this happens. There's no formula there's no technique, it's just a cry of the heart. And this is one of the mysteries of prayer. Yes, God can and does change circumstances, but he often uses prayer to strengthen us to face our difficulties more than he changes our circumstances. And Jesus is our example. When you pray during your darkest times, be honest about how you feel. It's okay. Jesus was honest. It's okay to feel devastated, or sad, or depressed. It's okay to tell God when you are overwhelmed or deeply anxious. 
He is deeply moved by those prayers, and he draws close to us. If Jesus cried out to God, then we should too. When we pray honest and raw prayers, we lose the sense of formality that may have built up in our prayer lives with God. It becomes more of that conversational intimacy Tim talked about a few weeks ago, less of a prayer life, more of a real no-holds-barred relationship. I suspect there are only a few people who know us as we really are, because we tend to wear masks when we're out in public, masks to hide what's really going on in our lives. But God knows what's going on, and he longs for us to share it with him so that he can strengthen us. If you hide behind a mask, you can pretend to be someone you're not. In Luke 18, we read about the Pharisee and the tax collector who are both praying. The Pharisee is putting on a great show, wearing his mask of self-righteousness, but the tax collector takes off his mask. O Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And which person does God say is justified, does Jesus say is justified before God? He loves it when we take our masks off and cry out to him with our hearts. And isn't it great to know that crying out to God is a safe thing to do? We can trust him with our hearts. We can trust him with our secrets. We can trust him with our deepest needs. And we can trust him with our hopes and our joys. Prayer is simple and our Father knows what we need before we ask him. But cries of the heart are not just about when we are in need or cries of heartache. They can also be times of joy and delight. Remember those Hebrew and Greek words for crying out to God? They weren't all about when we are brought low. They were also shouts of joy. And David knew these times as well, and he shared his joy with God. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with, joy, with cries of joy. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you. Come, let us sing to joy, for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. John Eldridge asks, do you shout in your prayers? What happens when the team you support wins? What happens when the person you're cheering on crosses the line first? What happens when you do really well in that exam you work so hard for? What happens when your son or daughter has their own much longed for baby? What happens when disaster is averted? We cheer, we celebrate, we make a noise. What are those things that bring you joy? Celebrate them with God. When you're doing something you love, celebrate with God. Share your joy with him. Share your joy honestly and spontaneously. This is another cry of the heart, and you'll find many of these prayers in the Psalms. John Eldridge refers to them as our primers for prayer. They're also about develop, developing intimacy with God so that he knows the desires of our heart. When we draw close to God, he draws close to us, and that's a safe place to be. David's main desire was to follow God, to dwell in his house forever. He offered his heart to God, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. He prayed a simple, honest prayer. Know me, God. Isn't that the prayer we should all pray? <laughs>